Children, fifth grade and under, if you guys want to head on downstairs, have a good time uh, down there receiving your lesson and your activity. The rest of us, I want us to turn in our New Testament to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is one of two letters that Paul writes to his young protege, and we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in about verse 7. As we talk about the question this week, is it okay to give up? As Dan alluded to, and I appreciate his candidness tonight about the early part of his life when he first became a believer, there are times in life when all of us want to move on, when we want to be finished with something, when we want to simply give up. A particular assignment at school or at work has you pushed up against the wall. Maybe some of you guys have had that happen where you just would rather that test be over with or that assignment be done or just skip it altogether. An illness that has constant physical or emotional pain or maybe both. I had the chance to eat lunch with John Bigelow this week and Susan is doing very, very well with her treatment in Indianapolis where she'll be for a few more weeks, but she is exceeding their expectations as she is the first person to receive these T cells that she's received last week that has a really good chance of putting her uh, cancer that she's been battling with seven or eight years into a final remission where they won't see it again. Uh, but she's the first one outside of the trial to receive this medication or this, these uh, modified cells in her body. And she's doing very, very good with that. Recently, I sat down with a friend and as I walked up to him, he had his head in his hands. As he began to tell me about the challenges in his life, I reached out and grabbed his hand and he said, you just don't understand. He said, it's, it's bad. It's really bad. And I, I just don't think I can do it anymore. And he, he didn't have to say the words, but I knew by the look in his eyes that he was wanting to know if it was okay, if it was all right to just give up. In our text this weekend, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy these words. They're very familiar to you. He says, I fought the good fight, right? I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, at first, those words to me sound like, is he giving up early? Why doesn't it say I'm fighting the good fight? Why, why doesn't he say I'm finishing the race? I, I'm keeping the faith. His life isn't over yet. Is he about to surrender it? Is he giving up? Paul had reached three conclusions about his life at this point, and it's in these three conclusions that he addresses for us the answer to this question, is it ever okay? Is it ever okay to simply give up. Flip back a few pages with me there in 2 Timothy to the first chapter as Paul opens up this letter. Paul always puts a nice introduction. Now, Sarah teases me about my text. I, I always sign my text, right? I always put my name at this. She's like, you dummy, they know it's from you, right? But I'm stuck from that. I come from that age where you always have a nice salutation, you know, where, where you address the person that you're talking to and then you complete it with something. And 
And here, Paul, listen to how he begins his letter, Timothy, and to you and I today. He says, Paul, I'm Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. Can you hear it? He's declaring who he is. He's declaring by what power his life has been sustained, by what power he continues to serve God. In this, he's declaring, this is my reason. This is the reason for living. This is the reason why I serve. This is who I am no matter the current circumstances of life. This is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm alive. I'm alive and I am purposed today, right now, by the will of God. Now, I want you to let those words sink in because these words should be the words of every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ. When we look at today, each one of us should be able to say, I'm alive and I'm purposed today if only by God's will. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Paul's story, which, which you very well may be, it took me years to understand his story, but you can look in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, when Paul was first introduced to us by Luke as who? Saul. Saul of Tarsus. It says in verse 1, Saul was standing there giving his approval when Stephen, anybody remember who Stephen was? Stephen was the first martyr. Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 7 says. He was a very gifted follower of God. Saul was standing there giving his approval when Stephen was murdered for his faith. We go on to read that Saul was the one who gave the order. Saul was convinced that his identity, that his purpose in life was to snuff out Christianity by whatever means possible. Verse 3 says that Saul went from house to house dragging out men and women of faith, putting them in prison. Now let's be real frank here. Most of us, in fact, there's probably not any of us in this room who could be accused of such a thing, no matter how, no matter how close to the brink of hell we used to live our life before coming to Christ. Or, or could we? How many of us, how many of us have maybe not stood there giving approval for someone's death, but, but haven't some of us given up on Christianity? Haven't some of us given up on, on the church? Something's happened to us, and so we pull way back, forgetting that it's our influence and it's our testimony that God would use to bring someone in our family, someone in our neighborhood, someone on the other side of the world to relationship with him. I know people who aren't serving today because at some point they gave up on God's plan. I know parents who have regretfully at this point in life made other activities more important than church attendance. And they realize that they have put their child's salvation, their relationship with Jesus Christ at jeopardy because they are now distanced from the church. 
and eventually distanced from him. In Acts chapter 9, in the middle of Paul's threats and the mayhem he was causing, in verse 3, he meets the resurrected and ascended Christ, right? Christ had already ascended. But on this road that day, Jesus Christ meets him and confronts him. Not unlike the day that Dan said he was sitting in his little orange toaster uh, car, his little orange Honda box, as it was, when he was confronted by Jesus And in an instant, Paul has to make a choice. He has to make a choice that you and I, it's really a choice that we make every day. And that choice is, will he, will he engage God's plan for his life, his transformative plan, which includes every circumstance, whether we brought it on ourselves or whether it's happened by the cause of someone else, or will, or will Paul continue on his own Well, Paul chose God's plan. And the rest of the story, perhaps you know. In verse 18, he was baptized, he received the Holy Spirit, and his life was radically changed. Thousands upon thousands of others were changed as Paul pulled all the stops. He went all in. He spent the rest of his life. He spent the rest of his life telling others how God had changed his life. He would do anything. No sacrifice was too great just to see one more person come to relationship with Jesus. Now, perhaps your story of transformation isn't that big. You don't see it as that significant. Maybe you're like me. I grew up in church. When I was saved, baptized at the age of 10, it wasn't a big transformation on the outside. It wasn't one of those moments where I went from living this way to, to changing everything and, and living a new, new way. Although something dramatic happened inside of me because our transformation, whether we're living like hell or whether we're living like the saints, our transformation, when we become a Christ follower, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, You're now alive by his will. You're now alive and purpose by the will of God. The Apostle Paul describes it this way. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, he says, it's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. He later wrote in chapter 2 verse 10, he said that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And it's in these works that we're challenged. It's in these challenges that God continues to transform us. In Acts 17, 26, Paul said, From one man God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they would live. And God did this, why? So that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And I love the conclusion. He says it is for in him that we live and move and have our being. It's no coincidence that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul, prompted Paul to begin this second letter to Timothy 
to us today by declaring that it is in Jesus Christ that we are alive and purpose by the will of God. And so when we are sitting in our prison cell, as Paul is, when we're sitting in our circumstances that have us ready to give in or to be done or to, to give up, when we find ourselves chained to choices that we've made or, or chained to the consequences that result from some of those, when we find ourselves bogged down by disease or addiction or failed relationship or or things that are beyond our control and we want to give up, it causes us to ask ourselves, I've got seven questions for you for those times that you feel this way in your life. Some of us need to carry these questions around with us every day. We need to write them on our wife's forehead or or someplace where we look all the time to, to see. And the first question is this. When you feel like you want to give up, when you feel like you want to be done, I want you to answer this question honestly. And that is, is my life fully surrendered to God? Because usually when these times come, they are to point out an area in our life that we have yet to completely trust him in. That we've yet to completely surrender to him. Because if your life is fully surrendered to God, we live by his grace and his power moment by moment. And if it's not by his grace that you live, today is the day. In that moment, as Dan said, when you feel like you've hit the bottom, now is the time to go all in. Number two, Have I fully trusted God with my current situation? (laughs) Now, this one's a challenge for all of us. (laughs) Uh, I I default to relationships all the time because that nine out of ten times, that's what we're talking about if we get right down to it is is a failed relationship or you you hit a wall or you hit a, a bump in your relationship. And all of a sudden, instead of talking about the other person, the preacher wants to talk about you for a minute and your life and your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we start going down the the list of our work and our, our play and how we use our resources, how we express our love. Is it is it the fruit of the spirit that comes out of us or is it something that we're manufacturing you see if you fully trusted God it means that you're obeying his commands and you're making every thought obedient to his spirit and to his will can you say that when you are about to give up when you're frustrated and you want things to just be over Are you making every thought obedient to him? Are you taking your next step in faith? You see, partial obedience is disobedience. It's the way it works. I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm talking about living in Christ, powered by Christ and powered by his will. Partial obedience is disobedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my command. You'll live in them. Have I fully trusted God with my current situation? And 10 out of 10 times, it's no. 
And so what are you going to do about it? Number three, have I exhausted Christian counseling and the counsel of wise believers? Now, I send a lot of people to counseling. We, we have a great counselor, and it allows you to tell them all of your stuff and then not have to look at me the next weekend, right? As if you told me all of those things. I've had people confess their homosexuality to me. And, and when they've made lifestyle changes and they're living straight, it, it was almost impossible for them to return to church. And, and that's when I learned my lesson. But as much as I want to be there and, and hear people's confessions and to help guide them through that, that they need someone else so that I can be there to cheer them on as they finish, as they, as they get through these things. But have you exhausted Christian? Oh, we tried counseling years ago. What about the advice of someone who's living the way that you, that you want to live? Have you sought their advice or have you gone to the ones who will agree with you? Have you gone to the ones when you're going through a marriage crisis, they're on wife number four or husband number six, right? I met a lady a few weeks ago. She came through the food line. Monday's our food distribution day, 180 some families we fed last month. I, I want to make it over 200 this Monday. Come out and see it. It's an amazing thing. We'll give you some food too. But there was a lady who came through the line. We struck up a conversation. She just buried her third husband. And I said, well, are you dating anybody? And she said, well, I, I might be. And I said, well, if when you decide that you are, I want you to give me his name so I can pray for him. Right? He doesn't have a chance. <laughs> Whose advice are you listening to? Number four. Am I emotionally and physically in a good place? <laughs> Am I exhausted? Am I weary? Am I drained? Am I spent? Am I weak? Because when we are, we are in no position to make any, to make any decision other than to lean into Jesus Christ. That is not when we quit on a relationship. That's not when we quit a job. That's not when we quit going to church. That's not when we give up on God. When we're at our weakest point, we don't make any decisions other than to lean into him. This is a big one, number five. Has God finished his work in me? We forget this. I, I hate trite sayings. They're usually on church signs when you're going down the road. Makes me want to hit the sign and knock it down. Has God finished his work in you? <laughs> I'm a work in progress. Every day, every circumstance is an opportunity to grow and to be transformed and renewed. God's work is not finished in you until you stand before him in heaven, no matter who you are. And so you have to see all of these obstacles, all of these challenges as an opportunity, as an opportunity to engage him, to continue to grow in him. 
It's not in the good times that we grow in our relationship with others. Oh, those are the fun times. But it's in the challenging times when it's put to the test, when we have to, have to answer, am I really faithful? Am I really true? Am I really committed? Has God finished his work in you? Number six, has God finished his work in the lives of those around you? I wrote it down. It, it, it's not just about you. <laughs> it's not just about me. It's about so many other people. You should be the last one that you're worried about. What about your children? What about your grandkids? What about people that you, when you were high in your relationship with God, you said, oh, God can do anything. God is so good. I, I love my church. And then when all hell breaks loose, you go off and you huddle in a corner or you stay at home or, or you say, my church isn't anywhere to be seen today. Has God finished his work in the lives of those around you? Well, if he hadn't finished his work in you, he sure hasn't finished his work in, any, in the lives around you. And so you stay the course. You lean into him. Others are watching, especially, especially those that are younger, younger in their faith and younger as in the next generation. And finally, this is a rhetorical question because we all know the answer to it. And that is, is there anything, including this current situation, that is beyond God's reach and power? If God wrote down every day of your life in his book before one of them came to be, which the Bible clearly says that he does, he did, then does that not mean that he is very much aware of it, that he is very much deciding since he is sovereign, since he is all-knowing and all-powerful, ever-present, does that not mean that it must pass through him before it lands in your lap? Which means that there is nothing beyond God's reach and power. Interesting piece of history. Bill Stone do a backflip over this tomorrow. He loves this stuff. But during the same time Paul was alive, who else was alive? Who, who was the emperor in Rome at that time? A guy by the name of Nero. Nero was a zero. That's a good way to remember him, right? But he had a hot mama wife, kind of like mine. Beautiful woman. Beautiful woman. Her name was Sophia Papaya or Piapa Sophia, whichever one you want to say. What a name. At the age of 25, he had it all. He had a beautiful wife. In fact, he was on his second or third wife at the time, expecting children. He built the Colossus, a 125-foot-tall statue. You know whose image it was? His. By the age of 29, by the age of 29, Nero was alone, paranoid, and he gave up. Nero committed suicide. Now the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was described as short in stature. Just a little man. 
He had one of those eyebrows that goes all the way across, right? Anybody ever seen one of those? It's like people whose eyes go that way. You don't know what to look at. You look at that big eyebrow, right? Sorry, those of you that, you know, Brad's got one of those eyes that goes every place. Hard to follow. But he had an eyebrow all the way across. He had one of those large Jewish noses. You can't talk about them today because that wouldn't be right. But he had a big honker right there. He wasn't married. Paul, though, stayed to the very end. And Paul's life impacted thousands while he was alive. But his life and his legacy continues to each, affect each one of us, even today. Here's the second conclusion that Paul gives us. And that is the Christian life includes fighting the forces within us and fighting the forces in the world around us. When Paul said to Timothy in verse seven, when he said, I have fought the good fight, that word fight is a descriptor of the passion with which Paul lived from the very moment he gave his life to Christ, from the very moment, and it never waned. No matter how old he became, no matter the stripes on his back from the beatings that he took, the shipwrecks on islands where he was left alone, he was determined to remain focused. He was faithful. He was effective and he was purposeful in pursuing the one who had pursued him. Everything about his life shouted his commitment to fight the battle. Look at this. The battle that rages in every person. You remember one of the words that Paul said to us about his life? He said, I, I know what I should do. <laughs> I know what God wants me to do. But doggone it. I don't want to. It's so hard. I don't know if I can do it. He fought that every day. The battle to give up, to give in, or to give me. I've shared with you a few times before. Uh, Sarah and I, 17 years ago, we took a trip to uh, the Hawaiian Islands, the island of Maui. We're still paying for it. But uh, 17 years ago, we were on Maui, and all of our friends, they told us, you've got to go see uh, this waterfall that is at the top of a road, road called uh, Hana, the uh, road to Hana. And so we, we had rented a little cheap go-kart of a car. I don't even know what make it was, but it was like a go-kart road right on the ground. And we started making our way up this windy road going round and round up this mountain. And about every second or third loop, we would see a waterfall on the side of the road. We'd pull off and we'd go take a picture beside it or feel the water. It was gorgeous. And each one just seemed to get more beautiful. But the day kept getting longer and longer. And at one point, and I remember the reasons why I wanted to give up. Uh, she may have had her own. She's tired of being in the car with me. But we decided that seeing that waterfall at the top really wasn't as important as we thought it was. And so we called it a day and we went back, got something to eat and went back to our place where we were staying. And, and some of you are like, well, a waterfall's a waterfall. What's the big deal? What's the point of the story? 
Well, you're right. A waterfall is a waterfall. But it was why we quit that day that has always bothered me. Why we gave up that day. Because you see, when we returned home, we would face some of the biggest obstacles that we would face in our married life. (laughs) Some of the biggest challenges. Challenges that led us a year and a half to being right here in this church. You see, we didn't want it bad enough and we gave up. And we now know that we cannot settle, we cannot give up, but that we must passionately pursue what God has planned for us. And that's what we've done here for the last 16 years. This is true for all of us, that transformation is painful. It takes time. And it requires of us that we engage everything that comes our way as an opportunity. As an opportunity, not an obstacle or a reason to give up. Now, some of you sweet girls right now are sitting around looking at messages and playing with each other's hands. And the day's going to come when you're faced with an obstacle. And instead of being able to engage the way Paul's showing us here, you're going to be you're going to be whining around on Facebook looking for somebody to help you. So pay attention. Paul was focused and determined to take hold of everything God would allow to be part of his journey. The good, but also the bad. And no matter how long the road, how curvy or painful the path, Paul said in Philippians 3.12, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Now I want you to think about that. I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus Why he took hold of me. That should mean something to you. That Jesus Christ would come and that he would give his life for you. For what? Just to show what a great God he is? No, because he's got a purpose for you. He's got a plan for you. And all he asks is that we embrace it and that we pursue it. Finally, Paul gives us this insight. And that is giving up and letting go are two different decisions. (laughs) Giving up and letting go, they're they're two completely different decisions. In verse 8, Paul says, I have finished the race. Throughout his letters, Paul refers to this journey that we're on as Christ followers to being that of a race, a race that requires self-discipline, a race that requires focus, A race that is actually a long-distance marathon. A marathon that for Paul began the day God saved him on the road to Damascus. Paul understood. He understood the significance of not only physical but mental and spiritual discipline and the determination to finish the race that was marked out for him. You see, there's a different path for every one of us. It's not just a 100-yard dash. It's not just the same little mini marathon around the city. The path's different for every one of us. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? He went on to say, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who runs in the race goes into strict 
training. They run the race so that they can get a crown, these little olive leaves that they would put on top of their head. It's kind of like the Olympics today. What a disappointment the Olympics are. People representing their country and they, they won't even stand for the flag. It's pitiful. I'd turn them off if I were you. I'd ruin the ratings. They do so to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He said, therefore, I do not run like, like I was running an average race. I beat my body. It's what Paul's been telling us here. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to do, this life of following him. It is not easy to finish strong. It's not easy to finish well. It means you're going to have to do some things that are uncomfortable at the time. Some things that you don't like to do very well that aren't going to be the most popular decisions. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You know, the statistics say that most Christians turn back. Most Christians turn back and they don't finish. They settle. We settle. We settle for less and we give up. Paul says in this marathon of life to expect broken relationships, to expect cancer, to expect disease, to expect financial hard times. I, I should have had you raise your hands if, if you're 70 years or older and you're still running strong, but you've experienced all of these because there's people in this room that have had all of these things. Cancer, trouble with kids, times when you've been overcommitted, consequences from the past and present that try to pull you back. Paul says you should expect all of these things and not be shocked when it happens to you. Instead, lean in. Stick to your training program. Keep running the race. Don't drop out, or worse yet, don't give up. I heard about a runner this week who stumbled, got confused. He was way out in the lead. Someone might be able to, to tell me exactly who it was. There's two countries I'm not familiar with, but he was way out in the front. And all of a sudden he seemed to be confused about the direction to go next. And this fellow from Spain, this other runner came up behind him. Instead of just passing him over, he pushed him and he guided him across the finish line. And some, someone said, why, why did you do that? Why didn't you take the race? And the guy said, he had already won it. He, he just got confused. Don't be shocked when it happens to you. Stick to your program. Stick to your prayer. Be around other people running the same race. Don't drop out. Don't give up. Lean in. Now, who is Paul to say this to me? He is a man who has done it all. He is a man who has had friends leave him. Leave him at the gate. This is a man who has been shipwrecked, who has been beaten for his faith, who has stood before officials after officials. This is a man, 
This is a man who has been imprisoned. He's imprisoned while he's writing, but he's been imprisoned before. He's endured beatings, his own thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. These things didn't paralyze him because he knew it was to be expected. And he said, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. How are we more than conquerors? Through him who loves us. So what do you think? When Paul said, I fought the good fight, I, I finished the race. So do you think he was given up? <laughs> I don't think so. So what did he mean? I think he meant that after all of this time in his life, all of this time of following God and looking back at how life was without God, I think he had made the decision once and for all that he was no longer going to entertain giving up. He was no longer giving in. He was no longer going to be that person that says, what about me? See, Paul never gave up. Instead, he let go. He let go of self-pity. <laughs> he let go of pride. He let go of regrets. That's an interesting one. He let go of his life the day he decided to follow Jesus. And how did he do it? He believed that everything that happened to him was for his good and ultimately for God's glory. And that belief allowed him to keep on going for God to the very end. Even the chains of a Roman prison cell couldn't hold him back. You see, 22 years earlier, before writing this letter to Timothy, he wrote these words to the church at Philippi. Maybe you'll remember them. It's when he made his decision to never give up. He said, if I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what should I choose? I'm torn between the two. Now, I'm not going to go out on a limb with this. But you hear what he's saying? Can you imagine the possibilities running through his mind right now? This sounds like a man who's been faced with his own mortality, whether inflicted by a Roman guard, whether inflicted by himself. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. And boy, aren't there times when we say, come Lord Jesus, come. I am so tired. I desire to be apart and to be with Christ, which is much better for me. But listen to his decision. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. You see, Paul never got over the fact that that day when Jesus confronted him on the road in his little orange toaster car, <laughs> he never got over the fact that he was alive by the will of God and he was purposed by the will of God. And when it comes down to it, this should be the game changer for all of us. It should humble us. It should make us grateful. It should give us staying power even when the road seems long and not worth the trip. Is it okay to give up? That's the band.
Is it okay to give up? I don't think you're convinced yet. Is it okay to give up? It really isn't. But is it okay to let go? Now, what is it that you need to let go of tonight? (laughs) You need to let go of control? Is that what's really got you wanting to quit and give up? Is because you're no longer in control of your health or you're no longer in control of your children or you're no longer in control of a situation? Maybe you're not even in control of your body right now. So many. This disease of Parkinson's, it it, it robs your ability to walk and to move. You're not, not in control. Do you need to let go of that? Is it something in your past that keeps grabbing you at the heels that that you need to realize God forgave you of that? And you need to let it go. Someone told me the story a long time ago that when you're carrying around all this stuff with you, that when you go home, what you need to do is you need to put a coat on. You need to go back outside if you're carrying all this stuff. And, And you take each one of those things that you're carrying and you stuff it in that coat. And you go out and you hang it on a tree and then you go back in the house. And the minute that you want to pick up that stuff again, you have to do the same thing. You got to put on your coat, you got to stuff it in the pocket and hang it on a tree. Is that what you need to do tonight? There's a tree right there. And all of it was hung there for you when Jesus Christ died for you. It's you that keeps picking it back up. You need to let it go. Is it an unhealthy relationship that needs to be surrendered to God's plan? It's so hard to trust. Is it your heart? The very core of you, you've never surrendered it to him in baptism. You've never known what it is to have his Holy Spirit to empower you to let things go. To restore you. To give you the courage that you need to run this race that God has brought for you. God's invitation for you tonight is to lay whatever it is at his feet. To do that mentally, spiritually, but most of the time we need to do it physically. A physical action that follows up with what we're doing inside our hearts. Let's stand together and let's bow our heads. Father, we are grateful tonight. We're grateful tonight for the message that Paul gives us. An important message because all of us, no matter no matter who we are, how many people are around us, no matter our reputation, that there are some things we just want to be done with. Relationships. We want to be done with making bad decisions. We want to be done with an addiction that just keeps coming back and and one more bad choice just seems to take us into another deep cycle of regret. Father, for some of us tonight, we, we, we need to give you our heart. We've said, oh, we want to be a member of the church. We, we, want, to, we want to be saved, but, but when it comes down to it, we have held on to to everything when you say let it go
leave it in the water. Rise to walk with you in charge, with your spirit living inside of us, renewing us every day. God, I'm convinced that you will not relent in your pursuit of us until you have all of us. And Lord, I'm convinced that you will do whatever it takes for that to happen. And I am grateful that you are that kind of God. And so open up our eyes tonight to see you, to see your pursuit, and to come to you today, right now. In Jesus' name, amen.